All right, we're in Jeremiah chapter 6 this morning. Jeremiah chapter 6. There's a lot of stuff in this chapter. We could probably spend a week at least, uh, a week's worth of sermons on it, but we're not going to uh, as far as like seven days worth of sermons. Uh, we spend a number of sermons here in Jeremiah chapter 6, but we'll just spend the morning and then we'll look in the afternoon service at a verse and some thoughts uh, in some other verses in Scripture too, but uh, about that. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 6, <clears throat> we continue to see um, God warning Israel of what, what is coming, uh, specifically an attack from the north. Uh, there is going to be punishment for their actions. There is a continued call to repentance. There is continued um, <clears throat> opportunity, I would say, for them to avoid what is coming. But uh, we also see a continued rebellion against God. And uh, so today I want to look at some failures that we can learn from here in Jeremiah chapter 6 that oftentimes we fail in as well. And uh, we'll look at these things, then we'll break uh, for the afternoon uh, until the afternoon service this morning. Let's look in Jeremiah chapter 6. Don't really have a perfect one verse or a couple verses for text and I don't want to read the whole chapter so uh, let's look in verse number eight it says be thou instructed O Jerusalem lest my soul depart from thee lest I make thee desolate a land not inhabited and that's a good good reminder of the warning that is being given to the uh, nation of Israel and uh, what is going on here uh, and what is to come and so I want to look at three failures today this morning, uh, and then we'll be done. Lord, help us, I do pray, as we look into your word. And uh, God, I pray that you'd clear my mind and uh, my heart. Lord, I pray that you would help us all to be able to be attentive to what you would have us to receive today. And God, I pray that you would help us to not make these mistakes, to not fall into these failures that um, your children did in Jeremiah. And God, I pray that you would help us to grow because of what we hear from your word today. Help me to present it clearly and correctly, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are going to be looking at a number of different verses in this chapter, and I want to be very careful that I'm not taking them and making them say what I want them to say. And uh, it's easy to do that if when you just take one verse and, and, and whatnot. So we're going to do our best to keep it in context today and to learn from it at the same time. Three failures that we see here uh, in Jeremiah chapter 6. Number one is a failure to listen to instruction. A failure to listen to instruction. Uh, We see here in verse number 8, he says, Be thou instructed. So he's saying, uh, I want you to learn something here. When I was in college, I had a problem with falling asleep in class, in chapel, um, pretty much anywhere except for at night. Uh, I had a problem with falling asleep. And, uh, and I remember there were times where the teacher didn't really care as far as their deal was, hey, it's your money uh, and you're not snoring, so I don't really care if you're asleep. You're just going to be the one that's going to suffer from it. And then there were other people who were very offended if you fell asleep in their class, to which I would say I'm very offended that you talk so monotonous. But nonetheless, um, <laughs> I had a great relationship with my teachers in college. Uh, so... And there were times where teachers would say, you're going to need to listen to this, or this is going to be on the test, you're going to want to underline this, those kinds of phrases that we oftentimes receive in schooling, uh, this is important, highlight this, underline it, 
put it in your notes, whatever it is, uh, for the purpose of learning. My freshman year, my very first semester at college, I had grown up either homeschooled or basically homeschooled in a Christian school that was really small and I was the only kid in my class. And so I grew up not really being used to classroom settings and I also grew up uh, to the very least smart enough to be able to pass the class without paying great attention to it. And so I didn't do a whole lot of studying in high school. I didn't do a whole lot of uh, writing notes down. I would just listen and then retain a fair amount, at least enough of it, to pass the class. So I got to college and I was taking a class, I believe it was Pentateuch, so studying the first five books of the Bible. And uh, our teacher, he was a very old, very nice, uh, jolly man, but for me, very, I just had a hard time paying great attention to him. But he printed out uh, the notes for the year, and he would tell us as we went along, this will be on the test, underline it, highlight it, whatever. This, you're going to see this on the test. And he would literally tell us everything that was going to be on the test. I was too stupid to realize if you'll just take 15, 20, 30 minutes to go through those things, you're probably going to do really well on the test. I went through the, the skate, skating by that I did in high school and thought, it's all good. I've listened well enough. It's the Bible. I've learned the Bible. I'm good. Uh, I'll be all right. And uh, so we went into our first test. We used Scantrons. Most of you know what a Scantron is. It's, it's a little sheet of paper with uh, bubbles. You've got to fill in the bubble for the correct answer, multiple choice answer. One of the things the teacher said that I did not hear for the first test was, that every answer could have multiple answers or just one answer. So it could be A, or it could be A and C, or it could be A, B, C, and D, or it could be B, whatever. It could have one answer or multiple answers, and I, which I think is just rotten of a teacher to do. But anyways, if it's multiple choice, you should be able to pick one. But anyways, um, and you could have the option of all of the above, sure, that's fine, or none of the above, that's okay, but to have to be able to put it anyways. I take the test, my very first test that I took in college, the very first one, and I went in and I filled in the bubbles, um, one bubble per answer, and uh, felt okay about it, you know, thought maybe I could pull a B in, in the test or whatever. Get the test back, and the way they did it when you get the test back is, is uh, um, they, you know, they run it through a little machine or whatever, so it marks them, and then you get it back. And then they go through the test and tell you all the right answers on the test so you could know and learn for the next going forward and all that kind of stuff, so know what you missed. So I get my test back, and it's a 37. It was my very first test in college. And I'm thinking, 37? I've never gotten a 37 before. And uh, trying to figure out how in the world to get through. So, so he starts going through the test. Question number one, I don't remember what it was. Answers, correct answer was A and C. I was like, A and C? What do you, no, it's a multiple choice. You just do A or C, you can't do both of them. Question number two. And, and so basically the only ones I got right were the ones that didn't have multiple answers in them. And I thought, this is just, this is crazy. This was a cheat by the teacher. Um, he should have said something. Well, he did say something and I just didn't listen to him. And so when he said, be thou instructed, I was not getting instructed. As a Christian, oftentimes God says, be thou instructed, and we just don't listen. We just don't listen to the instructions. Here he's telling the, uh, the, the people of Israel, I believe Judah, uh, the children of Benjamin in this chapter, uh, in Jerusalem. And uh, we see that this is 
a, a warning that is clear as day. Be thou instructed. He's telling them. Underline this. Circle it. Highlight it. It's going to be on the test. And they didn't listen. A failure to listen. Look in verse number 16. There's a, there's a, you pack this verse down because it's been taken out of context a million times. But, thus saith the Lord, stand ye in the ways and see and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? And walk therein and we shall find and ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk therein. Be thou instructed. And they said, we're not doing that. God said, learn, listen, it's gonna be, you're going to be tested on it, but we're not going to do it. God says, do this, and they said no. If um, There are very few areas in life where you're allowed to tell the authority no. If your boss says do this and you say no, then he says go home, you're done here. Um, we may pay you, we may not. Um, if you have a teacher in school that tells you to do something, my kids obey their teachers far better than they obey us. In some ways, I'm grateful for that. In some ways, I'm not. Uh, I'm thankful they obey their teachers. But uh, if their teacher tells them to do something, there's no way they're going to say no. Uh, as a parent, when your child tells you no, typically, there's a response. Maybe different for different people. For me, it's not a pleasant response. Uh, my first response usually is, what did you say? Um, and then after that, we put up the octagon and we have a little UFC match. No, I'm just kidding. Um, if the government tells you you have to do this and you say no, there's going to be some sort of consequences to it. If the IRS says you owe us this and you say no, I ain't doing it. There's going to be a problem. See, the difference with God is, is although there are still consequences for our actions, God doesn't force us to say yes. God doesn't force us to learn. God says, be thou instructed. Then it's on you. Are you going to listen? Or are you going to be like these people and say, we will not walk therein? Look in verse 19. Hear, O earth, behold, I will bring evil upon this people, even the fruit of their thoughts, because they have not hearkened unto my words, nor to my law, but rejected it. Be thou instructed. They didn't listen. They didn't learn. They didn't do what God told them to do. As a matter of fact, they rejected it. Number one, failure to listen to instruction. Number two, failure to understand what God desires. Failure to understand what God desires. And we've talked about this before, so we won't spend much time on it. But in verse number 20, right after the people rejected it, after God says, hear, and they did not. And by the way, look in verse 19 at the very beginning of the verse. It says, hear, O earth. Uh, and in verse number one, O ye children of Benjamin... Gather yourselves. Uh, in um, verse number 8, Be thou instructed, O Jerusalem. Uh, he's talking specifically to these things. In verse 19, Hear, O earth. It's, it's, a, it's, it's really an address to everyone. But nonetheless, that's another point for another day. So they reject it. Verse number 20, To what purpose cometh there to me incense from Sheba and the sweet cane from a far country? Your burnt offerings are not acceptable nor your sacrifices sweet unto me. We oftentimes have a failure to understand what God desires. We see it in 1 Samuel with Saul 
and him burning the offerings when he was not supposed to. And in 1 Samuel 15, verse 22, at the end of the verse, the Bible says, To obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. We are, I think we are doing it right. But there are churches, and churches that I've been in, that sometimes tend to focus too much on the outward actions as opposed to focusing on what God truly desires from us. We, as kids, can grow up in church and get caught up in, the, well, if I dress neatly, if my clothes aren't wrinkled, uh, if I'm uh, singing the songs loudly, if I have my Bible with me, if I read my Bible and pray every day, if I do those things, then I'm okay. Then I'll be fine. And then what happens is they get out of the house and they get around some people they haven't been around before and they start influencing them in other directions. Maybe they go to school and uh, throughout school they, they have a friend that isn't a great influence on them and they start kind of veering away from still doing the right actions, but at then they start to get bitter or they start to get um, uh, hypocritical or they begin to have this mindset of well I can fool everybody and I'll they'll leave me alone we have a Christian bubble it's a it's a problem that we have within church and Christian education Christian schools where we get into this bubble and because we're not as bad as the world so we think that everything's okay um, my wife grew up in a public school and I don't believe we've never had this conversation I don't believe she ever really got the impression that um, she was better than anybody else. Sure, she didn't do all the things that her friends were doing, but she, I don't think she ever had the idea that she was better than anybody else. Yet in a Christian school, oftentimes, it's not taught, but it is kind of insinuated. You are getting a good education. And I believe that to be true in, in almost all the Christian schools. You do get a good education. But you're getting a good education, and you're in a good atmosphere, and you're not like those kids in public school. Uh, I, to be honest with you, I don't know how a Christian kid can survive public school. I honestly don't. Um, the, the amount of pressure, the influence, the teaching that they receive um, when it comes to the worldview, when it comes to anti-God, when it comes to evolution, when it comes to... I think a Christian kid can go through school and not believe in, in evolution, but that's part of the indoctrination that's going on. And there's nothing godly being taught in Christian schools. As a matter of fact, they try very hard to keep all things God out unless it's a false God in which they're a little bit more accepting of. But with that being said, the Christian school system isn't perfect in any stretch of the imagination. And we have to be careful that we're not, um, as Christians, we don't create a bubble that makes kids think, well, because I go to church or because I have this education, then I'm not like those people. And, you know, sure, I might lie all the time, but at least I don't drink alcohol. Or sure, I might do this, but at least I don't do that. That's the bubble that, that we wind up in, in in the Christian world. And with that comes a failure to understand what God's desire is for my life. Uh, where I begin to think that as long as I get to sing a special in church, that God thinks I'm special. That as long as I get to do anything in the church, and we stress and we desire for every person to be involved in the church, that doesn't replace your sins, that it doesn't replace your rebellion, it doesn't replace 
your refusal to listen to God. God doesn't care about your actions if they're vain. Some people have the mindset, well, I can just ask for forgiveness, but there's no repentance. The person who tells you, the great thing about being a Christian is I can do whatever I want and then God will forgive me. I start to question if they truly understand who God is and what God is. Because although God says if you confess your sins that He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, you have to be truly repentant to get that forgiveness. It's not like the person that you can go up and go, uh, when you hit your sibling and your parents say apologize and you say I'm sorry and in your mind you think the next chance I get I'm going to sock you a good one. It doesn't work that way with God. God, I know I did this this week. Forgive me. Oh, good. I'm glad it's done with. It's not like you can go to the Pope and, and do your confessional and everything's okay now. It's not the way it works with God. God knows your heart. God knows the intent of your heart. God forgives you when you're truly seeking forgiveness. But sadly, many times there's not even shame. Look in verse number 15. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed. Neither could they blush. You understand the picture that he's giving us here? There is no shame in their sins. There's no shame in their idolatry. There's no shame in their rejection of God. There's no shame in the false teachers that are sitting there teaching in verse 14, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. There was no shame in them. They didn't blush. It wasn't a thing where, where they were at all sorry, at all shamed for what they were doing. They had no understanding of what God truly desired. When he asked in verse 20, to what purpose is the incense and the sweet cane uh, for? He says, I can, I can see the offerings being burnt. I can smell the offerings being burnt. But what's the purpose of them? He says, your burnt offerings are not acceptable, nor your sacrifices sweet. Your religious action is, means nothing to God if your heart is in rebellion. And so oftentimes we get little caught up in the activity of religion that we fail to serve, follow, and obey God the way that He has told us to. There's a failure to listen to instruction. There's a failure to understand what God desires. And then number three, and lastly this morning, there's a failure to take God seriously. We've mentioned this recently as well, but I think maybe we've grown up with a story time God as opposed to growing up with a real God. When we think of Satan, you think of pitchfork and tail and red and kind of a goofy villain of sorts. And so in turn, you picture God as white robe, beard, long hair, and there's a lot of arguments about if that's true, right or not, but nonetheless, that doesn't matter in this instance for sure. We, we have this picture of Jesus sitting on a stone talking to children or passing out food or healing people and we see this, this picture of Jesus and this picture of God. And in turn, we don't take God as real. We, we would say that we do, but our actions don't prove that we do, that we take God seriously or that we take him at his word. Look in verse number 30. 
He says, The reprobate silver shall men call them, because the Lord hath rejected them. So they're going to uh, be God's people that have abandoned God, rejected God, uh, did not heed the instructions, did not heed the warnings. They were not ashamed of their sin. They rejected God. All of this happens. And he says, when it's all said and done, they're going to be viewed as reprobate silver because the Lord hath rejected them. We fail to understand that God is serious about sin. We fail to realize and take seriously the fact that God hates sin. And there's going to be consequences for it. Turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 1. We're going to read a number of verses here, and it covers um, some mature topics. But Romans chapter 1, and we'll look at a couple things here, and we'll be done this morning. Look in verse number 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Now, key words in this verse, wrath, all right, that's not... That's not a slap on the wrist. It's serious. Against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. All right, verse 19. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. Okay, so now we're, we're understanding here that God has given instruction. God has, has provided knowledge uh, to, to these people. Verse 20. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Another important two words there. Without excuse. Many people, because they don't take God seriously, they try to come up with excuses. And God says, that's, that's, there is no excuse. You either did right or you did wrong. It's just that simple. Verse 21, Because that, when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the corruptible God into an image made like a corruptible man, and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their woman did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of a woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, um, 
whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, uh, unmerciful, who, knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. There's a lot in this chapter, and there's a lot in this passage that we could speak on, but I want to focus on this today. By the way, if anybody tells you that um, a lifestyle is not against God, because it only talks about it in the Old Testament, here it is in the New Testament. With that being said, this passage multiple times brings up the fact that God was not taken seriously in these sins. Um, when they knew God, verse 21, they glorified Him not. If you know God, and you know who God is, and you know what God is capable of, and you know what God says, if you're taking Him seriously, you would not fall into this category. They were not thankful, they did not glorify God, but they became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. They professed themselves to be wise, they became fools. Then verse 24 says, God gave them up to uncleanness. Verse number um, 28, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. They had knowledge, they chose not to retain the knowledge. It says that God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Then it goes into a list of different sins. The ones that we would go, oh, I would never be involved in that, but then it includes disobedient to parents, covenant breakers, debaters, whisperers, gossipers. There will be a lot of people who would like to preach and, and shout about a certain lifestyle that we know is ungodly, that God hates, but don't talk to them about gossiping. A lot of times we'll teach our kids certain things, but we've got to understand God takes sin very seriously. In verse 32, they knew the judgment. Who, knowing the judgment of God, knowing that they're worthy of death, not only do they do them, but they take pleasures in them that do them also. It's a failure to take God seriously. And when we fail to take God seriously, we have to understand there could come a day that because of my sin and my continual rejection of God, following of God, that I could too fall under the category of those whom God gave over to their vile affections. I grew up in a ministry that talked a lot about conviction. God convicting a heart. They trained every summer staff worker that came through that was not qualified, none of them were, to, to counsel kids. They reminded and they trained them, it is not your job to convict them of their wrongdoing. It is your job to share truth and to let God convict them of their wrongdoing. Don't try to, to uh, eke out uh, uh, someone's sins. Don't try to search out someone's sins. Just teach them the truth and let God do the work. There comes a time in a, in a life 
when we allow sin to take over that I believe we no longer are convicted of our sin. Because we sin and we sin and we sin and God says this is wrong and you say, I know it's wrong, God, but I like it. Maybe we do repent and we get right and then we fall back into it. I, I would dare say that in that instance, the reason why we are not gaining victory over that sin is because we are not being faithful with our Bible reading and we're not being faithful with our prayer. If we're doing that, then our minds are set on God and they're not set on the things that are tempting us. Well, we fall into these sins and we have the sin that keeps going, whatever it may be, it can be a number of different things. And instead of getting right and doing right, listening to God's instruction, understanding what God desires for us, we just don't take God seriously with the fact that He says there's going to be punishment. And there could come a day where all of a sudden I do the sin and I don't feel bad about it anymore. All of a sudden God isn't pricking my heart saying this is wrong. And the next thing you know I have a life that is turned over into vile affections. That even though I had knowledge of God I don't retain that knowledge. Maybe I'm not filled with fornication but maybe I am with covetousness. Maybe I'm not full of envy or a murderer, but I am a whisperer or a backbiter. I will become a hater of God, proud, a boaster. And soon, if I don't get right with God, I'm going to be the one who, knowing the judgment of God, I not only do the same, but I take pleasure in those that do. We fail to take God seriously. Because God is merciful and because God is gracious, sometimes we take advantage of God. And in doing so, continuing to live in sin just banking on the fact that I can fool God into forgiving me. <clears throat> I might be headed towards being turned over to my sins. I want to make this very clear. If you are saved, you cannot lose your salvation. But you can sure break a relationship. I believe there are people that we will see in eternity in heaven that didn't end their life well. They lived in, in maybe some what we would consider gross sin. I believe that's very possible. Now, I don't think we're going to talk about it or anything like that when we're in heaven. We're going to have a lot of other things to do, uh, mainly worshiping the Lord. I believe there will be people in heaven that if we were to look at them right now and go, wait, they're in heaven? How in the world are they there? And a friend in college, at a very young age, he started writing people on death row and uh, sharing the gospel with them and would interact with them. They would send letters back and he would send letters back and he would share the gospel with them. Uh, some of the most famous serial killers of all time he's had interaction with. 
and some in which he believes have been saved. And there's some of those people where we'd look at and we, if we found out they were in heaven, we'd go, wait, what? I know people in my life that have committed some heinous crimes that I admit I think there's no way in the world they're going to heaven. But it's possible that they were saved or that they got saved later, whatever it may be. If they were saved earlier and they started living in sin and they didn't get it right and they didn't take God seriously, and the next thing you know, there was no more conviction. I'm telling you, if you do a sin and you don't feel God go, that's not right. That is a scary place to be. But because we fail to listen to instruction and fail to understand what God desires and fail to take God seriously, it might be a situation we end up in. We have the great opportunity of having the Scriptures. Not only do we have God's words that teach us, we also have the examples that God has given us in His Word that teach us. We can learn from other people's failures so that we don't have to make the same mistakes. I personally like learning from other people's mistakes so I don't have to make them. We have to take to heart what God says in His Word and know that He means everything that He says. Every word of the Bible is true. And if you believe that, then don't fail to listen to it. It's instruction. Don't fail to understand what God desires. He tells you what He desires. He doesn't desire your vain sacrifices. He doesn't desire your money. He doesn't desire uh, your attendance at church. He desires your heart. And if your heart is right, you'll give what God wants you to give. You'll be where God wants you to be, and you'll do what God wants you to do. Don't fail to take God seriously. When He says, I hate sin, He hates sin. Every single sin. Does he use strong language about certain sins? Sure he does. He uses the term abomination. Uh, he uses the term hate and lists some sins. But don't take for granted that that means that your sin isn't one of those sins that God doesn't hate. God hates every single sin. And there's a consequence for it. We have to take God seriously. Don't have these failures that we read about in Jeremiah chapter 6. Lord, I pray for your help. I believe we have good-hearted people. I think we have good people. Lord, I believe we have people who love you. And God, I pray that today you would guard us. Lord, that you'd help us. God, that if we have sin in our life, that we would not uh, just accept it and go with it. But Lord, that we would truly repent, turn from it, and follow you. God, I pray that you would help us to heed the instruction that you give us. That we would do exactly what you'd have us to do. God, I pray that you would uh, help us to understand your desires as you've given them to us in your word. And Lord, as we speak to you in prayer. And God, I pray that we would understand the seriousness um, that you take when it comes to sin. Lord, that you mean everything that you say. And God, that we cannot escape um, the consequences of our sin. Lord, I pray that you would help us. I pray that you'd guard us. And Lord, that you'd strengthen us in our faith and in our obedience. God, I pray that you would use us to be an example to other people for the good. 
Lord, that we can teach and train the, the, the young people in our church and in our families. God, that we can all be a part of together um, training up a, a new generation, the next generation, to love you and to serve you, Lord, so that they're not just doing the actions that we're asking them to do, or just because mom said so, or dad said so, or pastor said so, but God, that we're doing them because we love you and we want to obey you. I pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.